I am relationships. But what I'm trying to do in this talk is to throw some light on a research that's uh, very vital to us and which is why we are here, which is a, a, a search of who we are. A search that is critical to know where to go, what to do. Part of a, of a determination to live an examined life, to examine our life, to really question what is it that we need to do. So, one of the ways how we do that is we, we say, who am I? We start looking for me. Problem with that search, as I'm sure many of you know, is that soon enough, perhaps without us even noticing, the whole search gets taken over, commandeered, as it were, by a tendency within us which finds unbearable the ever-changing nature of existence, the so-called anicca, the impermanence of things. And so, in, in a search to counter that ever-changing nature of things, there is an effort to latch on to something permanent, steady, solid, unchanging. And that is what we define as who I am. So, there is a tendency to construct the I. As I said, in order to avoid feeling adrift, as it were, into the flow of things. And of course there's a lot of help from our culture, our peers and our friends in that effort to solidify the I. This you know, one literary character, for instance, stated very clearly part of our culture. Better a fake somebody than a real nobody. In a way, it's a, a leitmotif of some of our searches have been interesting in a book by a sociologist who traces back what he calls the culture of professionalism, which is a culture that gives a specific impetus, impetus to this solidification of who we are. And a culture that, according to this author, um, grew up in the late uh, 19th century and has been with us ever since. And one of the aspects that we have inherited from that development is this extraordinary thing called character that we are supposed to have and it's supposed to be something solid enough, who we are. One, one version, of course, of 
of the eye. Let me just uh, um, read a little bit from this his historic sociologist. As an indwelling idea of self, as a core of continuous existence, one's character supported an ambitious individual as he, he, no, he exerted the supreme effort of attention to develop his real talents. 19th century. The impressiveness of a man's worldly credentials credentials reflected the strength of his inner character, the permanence of his inner continuity, which corresponded to the outer continuity of his career. Nothing that we are unfamiliar with. And when characters don't do the trick, it's principles. Certainly nothing wrong with this thing that we call character. Certainly there's nothing wrong with having principles. It's the, the solidity that we give to these things that makes them usable for something else. Usable for the construction of who we are rather than the exploration of who we are. The ex rather than the exploration of what can be done. But in fact, as we pursue this search for identity, for defining our character, for who we are, what we really find in the end is that the, the, the search falls apart because we are multiple. We're not just one. We are many. In fact, we are many, that's uh, the title of a poem by from Pablo Neruda, which I would like to share with you, because it really deals with this, with extraordinary depth. I resist saying it in Spanish, although I like it. I'll just say the title, Muchos Somos. We are many, he says. Of the many men who I am, who we are, I can't find a single one. They disappear among my clothes they have left for another city. When everything seems to be set to show me off as intelligent, the fool I always kept hidden takes over all that I see. At other times, I'm asleep among distinguished people, and when I look for my brave self, a coward unknown to me rushes to cover my skeleton with a thousand fine excuses. When the decent home catches fire, instead of the fireman I summon, the arsonist bursts into the scene. And that's me. What can I do? What can I do to choose myself? How can I pull myself together? All the books I read are full of dazzling heroes, always sure of themselves. I die with envy of them. And in films full of wind and bullets, I goggle at the cowboys. I even admire the horses. I, when I, but when I call for a hero, out comes my lazy old self, 
So I never know who I am, nor how many I am or will be. But love, to ring a doorbell and summon the real me. Because if I really needed myself, I mustn't disappear. While I'm writing, I'm far away. And when I come back, I'm gone. I would like to know if others go through the same things that I do. Have as many selves as I have and see themselves similarly. And when I've exhausted this problem, I'm going to learn so well that when I explain myself, I'll be talking geography. By the way, Don Pablo Neruda was a kind of a person, indeed. To go into that right now, very contradictory. Very difficult for him to live. I'm enormously honest with his of me, of course, there, there's all kinds of movements that are quite interesting and are quite familiar. One of them, which is very clear in the, in the for, for those of us who are in family life in one way or another, is how very often, well, first of all, children needs to, need to differentiate themselves from parents. It's a basic step, isn't it? I don't know how it could be escaped. And so sometimes the choosing of who we are is done by trying to be as different from the parents as possible. It's, it's one of the various movements. Within families too, there's often polarizations. You know, one, one, one member of the family becomes a good one, the other becomes a bad one, or, or, or whatever the polarity is. So, is, is this a, I mean, it seems to be difficult. So, are we, are we getting anywhere in this search and this inquiry? I say yes. Because, first of all, the search for who I am is invaluable, irreplaceable to recognize that this postulated entity is just that. This fictional entity is just that. Neruda says it's quite well. He says, by looking for myself, I end up having to look elsewhere. I have to look at geography. And that's not terribly different from what the, the great Zen master Dogen said. And I quote, or this quote has been translated in different ways, but we all say the same thing, sometimes different words. The translation that, that I've picked says, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self 
is to be awakened by all of them. That is the job. And I put in my words, leads eventually to forget the self. There's no way. The precisely the lack of clear answer to that question is the answer. Or another way of putting it. The search for solidity, because search for the self is search for entity, solitude. The search for solidity in me can lead me to discover that I'm not a solid entity, but an ever-changing set of relations. That is the title that I've chosen for this talk. So let's, let's look a little bit of this relationship. And, and the range of relationships is very vast. And I'm certainly not trying to limit it. I'm not talking just about relationship of one person to another. It is a, the vast field of relationship to what we can call the earth. The relationship to the natural world, not the four elements, if you wish, but also the natural world. A relationship that we can feel indeed as we feel our breath. Relationship that we can bring to life if we haven't brought it to life in any other way by just walking into the forest that way. Relationship that is crucial to our groundedness, groundedness, to our sense of rootedness, to belongingness. Because that's the way we orient ourselves around the solid ground under our feet. I'll, I'll have more to talk about this in the second talk. And then there's relationship to the body, which is very much what the practice consists of. Just our discovery that, that we can directly feel life teeming, life, cellular life, Vibrating us. That we can feel contact with our hands. I'm touching my hands. I can feel the contact with the hands. This is relationship. And of course, there is relationships to our loved ones, to our families, friends too. And here again, there is a tendency to freeze these relationships, solidify these relationships. To, and of course, we try to do that. And this flies in the face of the relentless change, particularly when we have young children, of circumstances around us. 
related to relentless change of people around, from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. And so it, it's very important to wisely respond to this challenge. And we can easily see, I think, how when the construction of self is put up there in front of the situation, it can work. Relationships get blocked. When the attempt to make things solid and unchanged is done unwisely, it gets in the way. Which in no way is saying that uh, we need to have no, no rules of behavior in a, in a very concrete form in a family. There, there, there will be um, clear-cut structures and strictures of behavior for the children. Surely. But the issue is when we invest our self-esteem in maintaining and solidifying this relationships. The, the problem comes up when we do this not for the well-being of the whole family, but actually because we panic, because things seem to get out of hand. And then the other aspect of relationships within the family that needs to be that we need to be watchful about is when relationships within the family become a substitute for relationships outside the family. When the family unity is walled off as it, as it were from the world. I personally am very sensitive to this process because I've, I've done that for many Done that for many long before I had heard that there was a thing called Dharma. But uh, and I can see how I trapped myself in that and how it also seemed to be a, a useful shortcut and in the end is it disaster. Because in an environment like this there's very much the possibility of seeing that the family is not just a small group of people but the family, the village as uh, Marcia has put it this, this, this whole retreat, this whole family. So that we understand that there is no need to limit and wall things off. That we can cultivate 
a myriad of human relationships, moment to moment. learn to really live our life as relationships without trying to grasp onto anything. We, we discover that instead of contracting around relationships, relationships are the path for an expansive life. Instead, instead of treating relationships as a place where we can get our rewards, when we can meet our expectations, if we can just accept the challenge that relationship is but we come in contact with the With the unknown. With the unknown in the other person. And with the unknown in ourselves. But there is no... No place for expectations. The expectations may be there. Sure. But there. You know, you see, you see the expectation, it's just movements of the mind, that's all. But then, things begin to happen around us. They're very different. Because instead of exercising an influence of limiting the people around us, we start giving them space to be, and giving ourselves space. I'm privileged to have a, a bunch of grandchildren. Sure, they're not any better or any worse than anybody else's children or grandchildren. But the fact is that they do touch me deeply. I'd say not all of them, not all the time. And, and there's, there's one episode that I want to share with you. I, I don't know whether I've ever told that on a retreat. Could have, because it happened more than a year ago. Um, with Manuel, my grandson, who was 11 then, he's 12 now. And I, did, I often go with him, spend a day, and he lives in Brooklyn, and upstate, so I go to the city and spend a day with him. All the times he comes to visit with us. But this uh, was the day that I went to the city, and we went out to do a number of things, and 
into Central Park and we ate some hot dogs, the real kind, no. <laughs> I suppose he would go for the fake ones. I think they don't sell them in Central Park anyway. And and then we were sitting very quietly on a bench you know, and feeling very close. I feel very emotional now saying this. And it's not the words, it's just the circumstance and my connection with Manuel. He says, Abuelo, grand, grand, grandfather. We speak in English, but uh, Abuelo is in Spanish. He says, when I'm as old as you are, I want to have a grandson You know, at the time he touched me, of course, he's telling me about his love. I thought about it occasionally, you know, various times in this last year. And, and I see there's an extraordinary wisdom there that I didn't catch it at the first time. This is the whole theme of this talk. I've talked so much, and he said it in one sentence. How much more beautifully can you say that? Uh, he says, we are a relationship, and I want to continue to be a relationship, and you're going to die. So, the way I can do it is to have a grandson. Like me, meaning him. Because he's so lovely. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just delighted that he's going to have... That, well, whatever. That. And that... It also reminds me of the something I, I, I read in some publication about a, um, an African word, a Zulu word, which I've, in different places, I've read as Ubuntu or Umbutu, whatever the correct word is. Certainly, I don't have a pronunciation. But it's supposed to be a term which translates which is not translatable in English easily, but translates by these sentences. I am because you are. I am because you are. So, in a way, Manuel was saying that to me. And, and he was saying that I was because he was, and so, he wants to be because he's grandson. All that. Said Susan. So good.
So, its relationship to earth, to our body, to our family, to our friends. His relationship to all others. It's in fact relationship to all the ways. Somehow, as we learn to cultivate relationship with those who are close to us, we begin to discover the infinite power of connecting. We begin to discover that it's not just to create this link or that link. We begin to discover that our ability to connect those further we begin to to see that we don't need boundaries. We careful and so on, but in our soul, in our heart, we don't need to construct walls and boundaries. You know, we still should lock the door of our home if we live in a neighborhood that requires that. Sure. No reason to lock our heart. Just do a practical thing. And that's it. And sometimes it's even better not to do it. I, I never locked my heart. But if I lived in New York City, I would. Maybe three locks. <laughs> but can I turn those three keys and still keep my heart open? So we begin to see, we begin to feel we begin to experience that there is a, a dimension of existence where we can really be in touch with, for lack of a better word, I'd say with, I'll, I'll, I'll borrow Don Pablo Neruda's expression, with geography. Just to say that we can come into contact with the dimension of existence that truly defines this Let's sit for a few.